Hey, everyone, and welcome to a, another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. I'm your host, CEO of Team Builder, Hubert Tomlin. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to say that this is really an exciting week for us here at Team Builder. For one, uh, we launched our new iOS and Android apps this week. So the old app is retired and the new app is in. So if you have not downloaded the new app, go ahead and do that now. Secondly, we launched our wearables integration. So we are now allowing athletes to connect their wearable device to Team Builder, and we will collect things like heart rate, sleep, heart rate variability, overall activity, and that is a segue into a, a biometric dashboard that we're gonna launch for coaches later this year. So two really big developments, that's a big week for us, and now on to our guest. So our guest in this podcast is Chase Cable. Chase is the director of business development for college and pro sports at Play. So Play is a really good partner of ours. We really enjoy working with them. And the reason I had Chase on here was because I didn't really know Chase before he took this job. And I wanted to kind of get the perspective of someone who is fresh out of college coaching and into uh, more of a business role. And I just thought this would be a good time to kind of examine, you know, how this person plans on leveraging their experience as a coach in a business role. And I just want to talk a little bit of shop with someone who also worked for another partner company of ours. So without further ado, here is Chase Campbell. All right, Chase, how we doing, man? I'm doing well, my guy. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How was uh, how was your business trip to UConn? It was good. Got to got to meet with some great people, um, some potential new clients, and then catch up with some some colleagues and some coaches and some friends. So always always fun going out to see Coach Hootie and Coach King. Is it weird being like a business guy taking business trips on the road? I mean, I know you were on the road as a coach. And you probably called those business trips, but like now you're you know you're in the airport with a laptop open, probably right. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's great being able to get out and, and kind of see everybody and not have necessarily an agenda, or at least not like I used to, right? So, you know, you had to, you're repping the, the you know, the logo on your chest and, you know, you're kind of out to, you know, get wins and everybody's your enemy, you know, quote unquote, or whatever it may be. But, you know, I, I learned pretty early on that, like, that stuff doesn't really matter. I mean, yeah, you want to get the win and that's, your you know, your livelihood is all dependent on that. But you know, to, as a strength coach, like I'm not on the court battling it out. Like I, I don't have anything against the other strength coach. Most of the time we're friends. And so <laughs> it, whenever we had business, you know, you know, so-called business trips, as far as when we were, when I was, you know, with the team, kind of the same environment that I, or, or same, uh, same mindset I have going into business trips. Now I'm just going to, you know, catch up with a coach, hang out for a little bit. And then, you know, now it's just, there's not a you know a basketball game afterwards. So, were the coaches that you that you didn't get along with is it because they didn't squat? Is that why? <laughs> you know, I don't know if I ever had a coach I didn't get along with. Um, man, I, you know what's funny, man? Early early on in my career was, uh, you know, oh that guy doesn't squat or that guy you know this coach doesn't do Olympic lifting. What are they thinking? And and I you know thankfully I I, I learned pretty early on after that that none of that stuff really matters at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, and so now it's, Hey, are you a good person? All right, cool. That's all I care about. It's a pretty friendly profession. Like it, people get pretty heated, especially on the social media oh, about, yeah. you know, coaching fly. But at the end of the day, shouldn't it be like, Hey, if, if we are both going into training with a do no harm sort of mentality, like, can you really go wrong from there? You know? Um, it's, uh, it, you know, I, I've, 
I learned, I, I was, I was at a stop in my career where, you know, we were, we were talking about a, a previous strength coach that had been where I was at. And some of the athletes would say, oh, well, you know, you know, at least we got stronger. And I started thinking to myself, if, if that's the only thing that your athletes can say after spending two, three, four years with you, that's the only thing they have to say about you is that you made them stronger. You did a really crappy job. Like that's mm-hmm. the, in all honesty, that there's, there's, there's nothing difficult about turning an 18 year old, 19 year old or making them stronger. Like, yeah, I, I was also saying like, especially in this day and age, man, like if you were a strength coach in the nineties or if you're like pulling double duty, right? Like sport, co- sport coach, strength coach, I guess, but there's never been as much availability of like quality education from really quality strength coaches and organizations than today for free. So yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's, and there's a hundred different ways to get athletes stronger. I've, I've utilized a bunch of different programming, you know, to an extent, all of it works. Um, as long as you're halfway decent and implemented. And so as long as you, like you said, take the approach of do no harm, like your athletes are going to get stronger. I mean, it's really hard to, to not have athletes get stronger, to be honest. Right. With you. And, and so, you know, when I made, when I finally came to the realization that like that stuff doesn't really matter as far as your relationship with other coaches, like I, I don't care how someone does it. Some of my, some of my best friends in this profession, we have vastly different philosophies on how to do things from a training perspective, but I love Nadeau. Jay DeMeo, you know, I don't really run the one by 20 system and he runs it hard and he has great success with it. And I've just, I've maybe used it here and there, but not, not as much as he does. And guess what? Jay is one of my best friends. I love the guy and I can mm. care less about what he does with his athletes. But you know what I do know about his athletes is they love him. They love yeah. him to death. And so I think, you know, I, I, I don't really care what other strength coaches do per se. I, like, do your athletes love you? Are you a good person? Hey, that's good enough for me. I hear you. Um, one by 20. I don't really get technical often on this podcast, but I was just thinking about one by 20 the other day. I was thinking about like, if I were to go in the gym and run myself on a one by 20 program, it feels like it, it feels like it'd be really hard to like load that accurately. Like I, I don't really mess around on primary movements in the one in the 20 range. So like is loading hard. How do coaches kind of accurately load athletes at 20 reps? Yeah. So I'm probably not the person to ask that question because I don't have an extensive background in it. I've used it mm-hmm. or like a variation of it, I guess. Um, after talking with Jay a little bit and guys like Jake Tura and some of those dudes, um, yeah. quite a bit of it. And I've used it as like a reintroduction block, um, with some of my other teams in the past. Um, but I, to be honest with you, I would run it for like two weeks, um, mm. super, super simple stuff. Uh, not to a point where we were like even working on percentages or anything like that. Like, mm-hmm. so you're, there are other people out there that could answer that question a lot better than I would and give you some, some really good answers. Um, I'm just going to sound stupid if I answer that. That's, that's okay. Um, if the people listening to this, if, if you're like a one by 20 person, feel free to comment and, you know, let, or reach out to me or whatever. I'm kind of interested in knowing. My guess, Chase, is that like you're not going to walk in day one or week one and accurately load one by 20. I'm sure it's something you have to kind of commit to to kind of get to where you need to be. Is my guess. Yeah, yeah for sure. You no, know, you're 100% right on that. I used it exclusively as, and, you know, my mentor uh, is going gonna, is gonna to shoot me for saying this, but just as a GPP phase. Uh-huh. And he, his, he would always say that everything we do in the weight room is GPP, which is 100%. Yeah. Uh, but 
uh, so he never he doesn't like when people use that that saying. But that's all we would use it for is really just uh, we're going to reintroduce you to training for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, super simple, and uh, you know not throw. Although one by twenty, like because you think twenty reps, it sounds like a ton of volume. But when you really look at it, and, and if you were to run it side by side, like total tonnage, you know, lifted, it's, yeah. it's really low volume. Yeah. Uh, especially the way I ran it. Now, I, if you could ask dudes like like Jay DeMeo, Jake Tura, Chris McCormick, I know he used to run a lot of it. Um, and, you know, all coming from Dr. Yeses originally. But it, uh, there's some people out there that could, that could definitely comment on this and, and give you some really good answers and some really good uh, – um, kind of tenets of the philosophy and, and how it plays out, how it works. I might have to get a one by 20 person on here and just do a 45 minutes. All you things should, one it's, by 20. it's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it is probably on the other end of the spectrum of how I was kind of, you know, quote unquote brought up in, in the field, but right. it's really interesting. Um, it's just, uh, again, it's just something I've not taken a, a really deep dive into. Um, but I'm sure at some point I, I probably should. The first time I heard about it was when I read uh, CEO Strength Coach, Ron McKeefrey book. Yeah. He, just met, he just mentions like when he interned for Asanovich at the Tampa Bay Bucks, mm-hmm. that, that's when it was like first came to be. And, and, and you know, it kind of related to what we're talking about. A lot of coaches came in to Mark Asanovich's weight room and didn't like one by 20, you know, and he had to, he, he, well, I don't think he had to, but like if he was willing to, he was ready to kind of, you know, argue for it, I guess. Um, that's in the chapter about, principles versus philosophies like principles are more important than philosophies a lot of philosophies work but the, if you don't have the principles that your program is it's less than yeah. um that's such a, that's such a great line too mm-hmm. principles are just so much more important yeah you can build your philosophies on top of their principles and like you were just talking about they all they all work mm-hmm. um that's good stuff man um so your first con well actually we met at the CSCCA that was like pretty soon after you took the job at play, right? First week on the job, first week on the job. That's a good event to go to your first week on the job. Cause that's just a fun conference, man. Yeah, it is. And the, you know, it's, it was interesting being on kind of the other side of it. Whereas, you know, normally I'm at conferences as a coach and then to go, to go in as a, as not a coach was really interesting, but it was fun to catch up with a lot of people and kind of mm. you know share that we had, it was kind of under wraps up until that point, but share that, mm-hmm. I was on on with play, and that's a heck of a first week on the job, man. Thrown into thrown into the the mix of a, the yeah. and the of the year. Did you don't have to answer this, but did did were you locked in at play prior to your season ending with Xavier, and then asked to kind of stay on, or did they expect that you would stay on through a season, or did the timing just work out perfectly? No, wasn't wasn't locked in with play at all. Um, oh wow! Until after the season, yeah. So it was oh, really cool. how, how things played out uh, with my year at Xavier. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, we don't have to go into the details of everything, but it uh, I got mixed up with play because we were we were expanding our current facility when I was at Xavier, uh, uh-huh. expanding and rebuilding, redesigning the whole thing. So um, yeah, we reached out to play and and uh, said, hey, we're, you know we're expanding. We want to obviously use you as our for our floor. Um, and they said, well, hey, we want to we want to show you something. So they they brought me down to headquarters and. Uh, introduced me to their that they're they're building equipment. They're going to build racks uh, uh-huh. as opposed to like third party companies like they used to. And uh, man, they just blew me away with the first of all the people. I mean, you know, Brett and Rich and, and all these and, and all these people that work for that work at play and um, what they've done there. Obviously, with the flooring. I mean, 
the flooring is unmatched. You just can't touch it. Right. And then, you know, the presentation they gave me with the, the equipment they were going to be designing and building, I was just like, yep, this is who we're going with. Like it was a no brainer. Um, mm. And so really got to know everyone there. Uh, you know, specifically a guy named Mike, who was the sales rep, really good dude. Um, and, uh, you know, when the opportunity came towards the end of our season or after our season, um, to potentially join play and, and move into the role I'm in, it was, I just knew the people already. And, and, um, you know, the company's headed in a really awesome direction with what we're doing. And, and, uh, it was, it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. That, you know, play is so ambitious and like, it's hard to not get excited when they have you over to headquarters and, and pitch you the vision. Uh, I, I hear you, man. It's a no brainer. Headquarters um, is awesome, isn't it? I know they built it kind of right before COVID too, right? How many people will still work out of the headquarters? Um, uh, I, I, Brett's probably going to shoot. I don't know the exact number. <laughs> um, don't worry about Brett. I'll take care of Brett. No, <laughs> dude, the headquarters is so cool. But it's like play to their to their credit. Prior to COVID, always had remote employees, so like they they have this good hybrid system where like, oh, you want to work in the headquarters? It's a great place to live. Woodstock, Georgia, is a great place to live. Um, do it. And then if you have to be in a territory, I guess, in which you're repping, that makes sense too. Like, I don't know if the California coaches want to have a sales rep who's like based in Georgia. Like it probably helps with the guys on the same time zone, you know, guy or girls on the same time zone, same sort of region. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we have awesome territory reps. I mean, like, you know, specifically the one I got to work with Mike was just, he's such a good dude and and he's a bad driver, but he's a really good dude. (laughs) And, uh, and, and, you know, all of, all of our, honestly, all of our sales reps are, are awesome people. And, you know, what's funny yeah. is I, I, man, I, I would dare to say probably half of, half of our at least sales reps and, and, you know, yeah, probably at least half of our sales reps were former strength coaches. Mm. Um, and so like they get it, you know, and, and when you're building a facility, you're talking to someone who's never worked in a room and doesn't understand the flow of how a training session works or, yeah. Just hawk equipment at you because that's their job. Like you can, you can sniff that out real quick. Um, right. Talk to a guy like Matt Frank or Evan Coachman who are, are sales reps for us who are former strength coaches. And there's more of us, not just those two, but yeah, you can tell they've spent some time in the trenches and they get it. And it's, it just makes the, it makes that building that relationship for a coach um, so much easier. And, and you can actually trust the sales rep as opposed to like the sales rep feeling like a used car salesman. I, I won't get into it too much because my listeners have heard me say this over and over again on past podcasts, but do we love hiring strength coaches here at Team Builder? I just posted a job up today on LinkedIn. And one of the first lines under like the re- the requisites or prerequisites, whatever, is strength and conditioning experience. Yeah. Um, you just, it, like context is everything, man. It's king. And when someone has been in your shoes and now they're on the other side helping you craft a solution, it's different. And then also the level of effort on the job I found is different because when someone is like passionate about their profession and has like a level of respect for it, then you get a different quality of like work ethic, uh, from that person. So I'm obsessed with hiring strength coaches. Like it's, uh, it almost makes the job application process easier for me. Cause I can just kind of sift through like, okay, who's been a coach. Who's not like, that's a good place to kind of start when you get whatever 300 applicants. Yeah. Um, so I'm a believer. I'm a big believer, man. And, but that also comes with its own nuances. Like there's a lot, you know, like, you know, this, or maybe you don't, maybe you're lucky. Not all strength coaching positions are great. You know, like they can be long hours, low pay and really be a thankless job. A lot of people, I think 
are probably are incentivized to kind of run away from a bad situation more than they are kind of attracted to a good situation or a good fit for a position like the one at team builder. So I try to kind of weed that out too, to make sure that I'm not getting people who are ready to, uh, that I'm not getting people who are just getting out of a bad coaching situation versus trying to move away from coaching in general. You know what I mean? Like the timing yeah, is really important for me. Yeah, no, hundred percent. That makes sense. And, and I'm with you, man. Like there's something about And obviously I'm a little bit biased because I've been a strength coach for you know 10 years now, but there's something about strength coaches, the work ethic, the passion, because again, it, it, it can be, as there are a lot of jobs like this, a very thankless job yeah. uh, that, you know, like you said, long hours, not a lot of pay. And it's unfortunate that that's, you know, the situation that some strength coaches are in. I, I, I have been in that situation before. Uh, very fortunate to have, have, you know, gotten to where I, where I was and, and, you know, moved into better situations and, and met a lot of great people along the way. But I mean, most of us end up in a position like that at some point in our careers, usually earlier on. But um, to, to, you have to love it. You really have to love it. You have to have a passion for it. And I think that bleeds over into other aspects of your life and, you know, potentially other careers down the road. I mean, I, that's kind of what I'm trying to, that's exactly what I'm trying to bring into this new position. This new role is, is the passion and, and the work ethic and the drive that I've had for being a strength coach all these years is, um, it's all been revolving around, it's all revolved around helping people. And so I'm trying to take that exact same mindset into, now I'm not helping athletes. I'm helping coaches. You know, I'm helping athletic directors. I'm helping departments. Um, and so it, that's something you learn being a strength coach, uh, or you help you, hopefully, you know, you learn as a strength coach is, is that desire and passion to help people. Um, and if you have that, that can bleed over and transfer to a lot of different opportunities and a lot of different careers. Definitely. I strength. I, I know a lot of coaches today that are transitioning out of coaching altogether. I suspect they go on to do good jobs and whatever they do uh, outside of coaching. There are just some qualities that are really, really important that employers really, really value that I think are pretty commonplace among strength and conditioning coaches. Um, NHSSCA, that's the high school yep. conference that we just went to. That's where you and I met for the second time. That was awesome. Uh, I've been to that one every year for since it started. What Team Builder helped start the uh, association as the play um, really play was like the founding sort of I guess organization for that but that was your first one had you had you been to that one before no that was my first time at that one and it was a it was such a cool experience being you know that was my first one especially back in Nashville where I used to live you know when I when I interned under Gary Christopher at Vanderbilt um it's oh you lived in Nashville I didn't know that Did you yeah, live in the West yeah. okay I'm from Tennessee so <laughs> oh are you nice yeah yeah yeah, so I was uh, this was right after grad school. I was interning with G. Um, just if, I don't know if you've met Gary, a phenomenal human being, just the best person. Uh, but he was at Vanderbilt at the time, men's basketball. Got to was interning them uh, there with him, um, and uh, I worked part time as a strength coach at a gymnastics gym that was kind of attached to a fitness center, uh, mm -hmm. just to make some money while I was doing that. And the road that we took from the hotel to the uh, high school where the conference was at was the exact same road I took every day to that gymnastics gym. And it just really brought me back to an interesting time in life and, and, uh, forgot how beautiful it was that drive in. And so it was really mm -hmm. cool to kind of take a trip down memory lane there. Uh, but yeah, the, man, the conference was great. I mean, were you surprised it, at how many high school coaches showed up? I mean, like that conference brings a lot of people, dude, it was packed and everyone and was, it was kind of a down year. It was a down year too. Oh, was it really? Yeah, just because the flights and stuff are so crazy expensive, and yeah, 
Yeah, they, man, it, they, I tell you what, you know, Rich, Rich and those guys have, have really done a great job uh, with that conference and that organization. I mean, it's funny because up until recently, I feel like high school strength conditioning kind of gets um, kind of dumped on a little bit, you know, because totally. college strength coaches think they're cool and everybody else. And <laughs> that's not, that's not true, but you know, it's seen sometimes as lesser and it's not, you know what I mean? As a matter of fact, I, I believe it's probably more important um, yeah. because that's when kids are developing and, and really getting a, um, some really, really, you know, formative years of training and hopefully. Yeah. Um, and so to see all those strength coaches there who are doing really awesome things um, in their respective schools, respective areas um, and getting to meet all of them. And again, I've not been, uh, you know, a strength coach in a high school. I've trained high school athletes when I was in the private sector for a little bit, but um, so I didn't know a lot of people there uh, apart from a few. And, and it, but it was really cool to, to meet everybody and, and get to meet people I've not met before and, and reconnect with some other people I, I had known from, uh, you know, in the past. And um, all the vendors there were all really cool getting to hang out with everybody. And, and we got to show off our new racks. Um, speakers were awesome, man. The food, they crushed all the food. That was one of the best parts. Um, they do a good job on that. Yeah. It I, was think, just I think Rich is personally responsible for the food. So he does a good job. Yeah. Yeah. He did a great job. Um, <laughs> Yeah. It, so yeah, man, it was it was a great experience. Really, really cool conference to go to, and and definitely looking forward to the next one in Chicago next year. The the conversation I had like uh, several conversations that kind of had a recurring theme, and it was so cool. Uh, no one there, like the high school of the high school coaches, no one really brags about kids that go on to the next level. Like they do, right? Like they they send kids to the next level all yeah. the time, no problem. What they really get excited about talking about when you bring it up is like having regular students that maybe don't even play a sport come to their weight room and sort of change their lives for the better. Um, that, that conversation happens like 10 times as much as the conversations about athletes going to the next level, which is why I love the high school thing. Um, and at the same time, these coaches will sit down and they probably could come on here and talk about one by 20 in depth. Um, they're reading every version of the same Mike Boyle book when he sends out an updated version. Like, it's just crazy how in depth uh, they are as coaches. Yet they're like coaching people with no training age, no athlete, uh, no sport to compete in, as well as athletes who are, you know, trying to go to the next level. Yeah. Uh, that's just a different environment. And it just like makes it really special. I, I just really like uh, the persona of like the high school coach, especially the ones that are members of the NHSSCA. It's, uh, it's really, really cool. It makes me just also want the high school strength and conditioning profession to just be invested in. I wish more high schools would invest in it, create positions for it, because um, like these coaches care so much about their athletes um, and their students, like equally. And students in America today, it, this can turn into a larger discussion about like the state of our physical readiness not even to compete just physical readiness is in terms of like being a, a human like at the, at the high school levels kind of dropped off in america over time and strength coaches being in charge of pe programs i think would be a really good way to sort of move the needle on that for our country like as a whole you know yeah absolutely i mean this is like you could we could go deep deep dive into this but like if you think mm -hmm. about the cliche of like oh kids are spending way more time uh, you know screen time 
these days. It's it's true. It's not a cliche. I mean, it's it's one hundred percent true. And and it's not just at home, like on video games. But in the in the classroom, like they're yeah. in class a lot on screens uh, at the expense of you know physical development. Yeah, I mean, I think back to my my nephews and nieces who are you know not that far removed from high school. I remember them talking about they all got iPads in high school, and I like that was like a required thing. It was given to them by the school, and that blew my mind. I was like, dude, I couldn't even get a T85 or whatever calculator from high school. Like, you know, yeah. like the big calculators, let alone a, an iPad. Um, and so it's it's crazy how things have, have gone that direction and, and PE programs getting cut. And um, right. it's just wild. And and uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. If you could have like really high quality strength coaches in charge of PE programs, mm-hmm. honestly, we know the benefit that it would that it would create. But I also think as a strength coach, that'd be a lot of fun. I think oh. back PE days and it's like you could do, you know, we used to use, I would use games as warmups with college and, and professional athletes, you know, and, and you think about in PE, that could be at least half of what you do is just having like physical games, you know what I mean? And, and, mm-hmm. um, that was, that sounds like a blast, honestly. And, and it's too bad that some, in some areas it's heading in the other direction. Right. And, and look, to be clear, no one's, no one advocates for like, uh, the classroom not being effective like we of course we have to create well-rounded students that yeah. learn in the classroom but like the pe needs to be contributing to that not like kind of thrown out you know in order to make room for that mm-hmm. i don't know if we've necessarily figured out how pe sort of complements uh, classwork and vice versa and i think that's where things have probably gone wrong uh, with the educational system is that the pendulum has kind of swung too far one direction and not and kind of at the neglect of the other side of it. Yeah. That, I mean, that's that you see that in really every aspect of life, right? Like people want to live on the extremes or, or having these, these ideologies that live on the street, the extremes, as opposed to, you know, I, I kind of live by the mantra of like most of life's answers lie somewhere in the middle. Um, yeah. And so as you know, you wish you could apply that to this, you know, specific situation of it doesn't have to be, you know, completely get rid of PE or, you know, have a ton of PE. It's like, man, just yeah, have it right down the middle. And you're probably going to get, I mean, we, we know the cognitive benefits you get from physical exercise. So, totally. uh, you know, why that's a pretty, pretty well-researched and, and uh, um, piece of information there. So we would think that we'd, we would use that and, and uh, you know, especially the younger ages when all that development's happening, we would, you would think you'd use physical ex, uh, exercise or um, physical education as a, as a, um, you know, a way to enhance the cognitive abilities and cognitive development of, of young kids. But yeah, unfortunately not everyone uh, agrees with that. Right. Sort of related. I saw California push back their school start time simply to take a pragmatic approach of giving teenagers more time to sleep. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, the, I was really, I've never heard of that. It was really that simple. They're like, we're starting too early. Uh, if 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 our public health experts are telling us that teenagers need more sleep and they're not getting sleep, then we're not doing them any favors by making them come to school at seven a.m. So they push it back to like eight fifteen, eight thirty. Yeah. Let them sleep in a little bit. It's cool with me. They should, uh, they should they should start pushing that in college athletics as well. I agree. I agree. The grind, though, you got you got to grind. You got to you got to get up earlier in that other team. Got to grind, man. That was the one. You know what? Uh, Basketball has a lot of funny intricacies about it and some things that need to change. But for the most part, there, you know, basketball has been a sport that, in my experience, not a lot of like early morning workouts are happening. 
as opposed to like I played football growing up and it was like early, man, every, every day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, basketball, I, for whatever reason, I feel like, um, most of the things happen late morning or early afternoon, you know? And so, you know, personally, in my experience, I, I've not had many training sessions with my former athletes that have been six, 7 a.m. in the morning, one here and there, you know, but nothing, mm. nothing all the time. And, and, um, it's interesting that, you know, for the longest time, it's like, oh, I got to get up and grind, you know, NCAA says you can't do anything before, I think, 5.15 or something like that. So it's like, you know, 5.30, 6 a.m., we're, we're, we're training hard. It's like, dude, I don't know if you ever trained at 6 a.m. It's mm-hmm. not fun. And, and that's yeah. kind of a guy, like, I love to train. I, I, I am a meathead, you know, through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, but do I want to train at 6 a.m.? Absolutely not. So then you take yeah. an athlete who, you know, isn't there to be a weightlifter and may enjoy training, but probably not as much as we do. They love it as one tenth as much as you do, probably. Yeah, and, and you're going to ask them to to give you know full effort at six a.m. after you know they didn't go to bed on time because they're in yeah. college. Why would they? Yeah. As much as you want to preach about sleep hygiene and all these things, understand the situation you're in and understand the context you're in that they're probably not going to bed at nine o'clock like you hope they would. And yeah. So, just wait till you get to your late twenties, early thirties. I can't wait to get my bed at night. It's like the best part of my day. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. But that's not happening at that age, you know? And no, so, no. Be, you know, for the longest time and still to this day, it's like, man, we got to get them up early. got to get them up early. It's like, you're probably doing more harm than good. Um, mm-hmm. you know, now the tough part is you have to work around, you know, class scheduling and all that, but still it's, um, it's interesting to hear that they're doing that with high school, like just high school classes. Uh, yeah. And, Maybe we can start to bleed some of that into college athletics as well. It comes off as pragmatic to me, you know. Just oh, some, you can't control what time they go to bed, but you can give them time in the morning once they're asleep. Yeah. yeah. At uh, least, at least if you push it back, maybe maybe they have to get up at the same time, but then it gives them time to get some breakfast, you know, as opposed yeah, to yeah, yeah. you know, throwing out hard before training. Totally, totally. Um, how many of your totally taking a hard right turn here? How many, what do you think the health outcomes are of your athletes once they leave competitive athletics? Um, for example, like guy graduates, he trained with you for four years. She trained with you for four years. And then now they have a job eight to five, whatever. Um, when they walk into a weight room or like a fitness center, like, do you think they sort of know what they're doing? Do you think they're like equipped without it? a dietitian without a strength coach without an athletic trainer to sort of like create a, a good health outcome for themselves once they graduate college athletics? Um, you know, my ego would like to say, I hope so. Mm-hmm. I like think I've done a good enough job at educating them behind what we do and giving them the reason why we do it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's probably, it's probably a lesser percentage than I'd like to, I'd like to hope for, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, back to our, our the comment I made earlier that if the only thing a strength, uh, the only thing a former athlete can say is that you made them stronger, then you've done a pretty bad job as a strength coach. And I'd like to. So I take it back to when I was in uh, when I was in grad school, um, and, and with Jason Roberson, who's the director of strength and conditioning at Ball State University. One of our favorite times of the year was like dead weeks, right? Like right before finals, where you couldn't have any mandatory training, but there were open hours it was always really fun to kind of just sit in the corner and then just watch what athletes do, watch what they would come up with. It's like, can an athlete put together a decent structured, you know, program for the day or session for the day. Um, and you'd see some that were like really, really great. And then you'd see others that were just like arms and abs. And it's like, that's fine. You know, I like, I like a good arms and abs day, but it'd be, it'd be really mm-hmm. interesting to see the, 
the ones that have listened and learned and, and paid attention and, and grasped the idea of what a session should or could look like. Um, so I would like to think that, uh, you know, I've done a decent job of, of educating my athletes and, and helping them understand the structure of a training program and, and kind of what a, what a, you know, a day or a week or a month should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, again, it, 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 in my mind, I'm like, Oh yeah, they all, they're all good, but you know, probably not, not every single athlete, but yeah, it'd be interesting to go back and, and, uh, and maybe if any of my former athletes listen to this, maybe they can, they can chime in and say, yeah, we did a good job. Or, no, you were terrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, but, uh, you know, it's not your job. You got to prepare them to play. And, um, you know, actually, uh, quite a few uh, back to high school, high school slash PE strength coaches um, are pretty are pretty intent on teaching like lifelong habits to to high school kids. Yeah, and I've I've seen PE curriculums where part of the the curriculum is that the uh, student or the athlete has to design a training session for themselves at the end of the semester to sort of kind of graduate the class to understand like what a holistic you know, sort of training program looks like, which I think is like really, really cool. Yeah. So I would do kind of like a field test version of that with some of my former athletes. Like uh-huh. we, would, we would go, if I had a, if I had a, an athlete come in asking for extra work, right. That, that would happen quite a bit. And, um, I, sometimes you're, you always have to take that. We have to be cautious with that because in your mind, you're like, man, we've had a whole week of really good training. Like I really don't, I kind of pull the reins back a little bit sometimes because it's, maybe that's too much We're you know, we're doing a lot right now and, you know, that extra word maybe isn't necessary, but at the same time, I hate to, you know, throw water on a hot fire of, of like desire and intent to train, you know what I mean? And, and so, yeah. um, when I, a lot of times when I have an athlete, uh, come in and ask, asking for extra work, I said, well, Hey, you know, what do you want to do today? Uh, what do you think you need to work on? Like, are they self-aware, Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of maybe their game or where they're lacking or their physical development that, that they feel is lagging a little bit. So that's always an interesting piece is to see, you know, do they have the self-awareness to know that, you know, maybe they're not as, as uh, you know, maybe they don't move laterally as well as they should or, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Maybe they, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're not as quick as they should off the ground. Uh, you know, if we're talking about like jumping, right. So um, it's interesting to see that, but it's also interesting to see, you know, if I say, Hey, what do you want to do today? Um, it's, you know, can they put together a, a decent session? Have they been paying attention and, and can they not only that, but can they think back to what we've done all week and can they find maybe the holes of what we haven't hit? Now, I, I again, ego a little bit. I, I hope that we hadn't missed any holes, but if we had, can they pick it out? Um, mm-hmm. or do they, does, and this is also a little bit of like a, a self-reflection for me because it lets me know if the athlete is aware of the programming and going, Hey, I felt like we haven't done enough of this for me specifically. So that is also a little bit of a nice self-reflection for me of going, Oh man, maybe I, maybe I did miss this. Um, and maybe I need to make a couple of adjustments. So it's, it's, those sessions are always really interesting to me. Um, and, and I always like to tell my athletes, I learn more from them, uh, you know, far more from them than they'll, they'll ever learn from me. Um, and that's one of those, those instances where I can take a lot from that. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and see if, you know, am I checking the boxes I'm supposed to be checking or, or am I missing some things? Um, so it's, uh, it's a really interesting way to look at, you know, at yourself, look in the mirror a little bit, um, while also examining, you know, are, are your athletes learning? Are they, are they getting better and they making, you know, 
strides outside of just, you know, physical development. Yeah. When I was in high school, um, we always asked to do some curls, some upper body stuff. And the coach was always like, yeah, you can do that on your own time. <laughs> Man, I, used, I used to, uh, I used to be for a long time. I was like, Oh, we don't need to do arms. We do push and pull on that. That'll take care of it. And, uh, I tell you what, man, Jersey filler stuff it is, I program it nowadays uh, or, yeah. you know, uh, when I was still coaching, it's it, the athletes enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with having bigger arms. It's not going to, it's not going to make anything worse. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to ruin your jump shot by doing a few extra curls or tricep extensions. So mm-hmm. uh, if the athletes enjoy it and it, it improves mood, it improves intent, uh, it makes them feel good and they enjoy being in the weight room. I'll absolutely program it. I don't care one bit. Uh, the only thing I ever tell my athletes is if they're going to do arms, they have to roll their, if, they, if they're wearing sleeves, they, gotta roll their, they have to roll their sleeves up and they have to look in the mirror while they do it. <laughs> look yourself in the eye. From, I got that from Dave Feely, who was the football strength and conditioning coach, uh, director of strength and conditioning when I was at Ball State. I was on the Olympic side. He was the, the football guy. And uh, that's a story I got from him. But n- now I say it all the time. If you're going to do arms, you got to roll your sleeves up, you have to look in the mirror. Yeah, I, Arnold said it. Mind muscle connection. You know, you got to look at it. You got to know what it's doing. You got to feel it. I hear it. Um, self love too. Self love is very important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good for common. You know, do you know Kevin Vanderbush, the high school strength? He's at Ben Hur High School in Indianapolis. Uh, I don't know him personally. I know who he is though. I know who he is. Yeah. He, huge six day school. The kind of school where like uh, Jim Harbaugh and, and all the uh, usual stuff. Oh, yeah, I, I know the high school. Yeah, I'm from yeah. Indiana, so I know the high Are school. Are you really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you know. Okay. So it's like you know the routine is they they they're going to visit that high school. I think they pump a lot of guys. Um, Kevin Vanderbush in his presentations talks about how he's always purposely programmed uh, upper body. Uh, and, and curls and stuff because at the high school age he's like i need them confident i want them confident i want them looking good feeling good about themselves all that stuff yeah. And like, dude, yeah high school high school males especially uh that's a consideration that's a really big consideration um so he was one of the earliest people to kind of say that you know of all the folks kind of presenting throughout the years which i appreciated from him yeah and i'll tell you what it, as much as you have to do your job from a from a physical pre- preparation standpoint you also have to make your head coach happy. And if your head coach thinks that your guys have small arms, like, <laughs> as dumb as that sounds, that's an issue. Like, yeah. Uh, and so like you, again, I, I know it, it doesn't sound, you know, we, we get taught all these things in school as you're coming up, like everything has to have a reason, no fluff, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But if my head coach wants my guys to, wants his guys to look big and, and fill out the Jersey, then guess what I have to do? I have to build a little bit of size up there and fill out the jersey. Now, I'm not going to sacrifice more important things, but you don't have to to get that done. And so, yeah. you know, a couple extra sets of, of biceps, triceps at the end of a training session, it's not going to cause any harm. Um, and you're going to you're going to make the kids happy. You're going to make your coach happy. And then you know, it's almost like um, what is the saying? Happy wife, happy life. It's like happy athletes, happy coach, happy life. Yeah. Well, anyone who spent some time around like a sports coach knows that they to probably to a fault rely often on like intuition and instincts and their impressions of things. You know, that's, that's the information they process. It's a very largely qualitative as opposed to quantitative um, and quantitative too. But, you know, I, I would say strength coaches are probably more quantitative than sports coaches are. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, for, for mo- the most part. Yeah. Until you start hearing a, a sport coach, like a basketball coach talking about stats, then all of a sudden it's, they, they yeah. get crazy stats and you're just like, I didn't even know that stat existed. 
So they probably can be quantitative to a, to a point, but when it's yeah. in that realm, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's probably a newer concept to, I think, sports coaching. Like, yeah. Um, like, going on. Yeah. 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 A, a newer, a newer discipline, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I mean, whole, I mean w- when I was in the NBA, you have an entire like front office department dedicated to analytics. Yeah. Yeah. Like, five yeah. person staff. That's, that's in, their entire job. Oh, I, I feel like the NBA was probably, and, and baseball were probably a little bit ahead of some of the other sports when it came to that. Uh, all the sports use in-depth analytics now. They have to, but um, I, I feel like the NBA was there with uh, when it was so it's like when the three-point when the three-point play kind of came into the rules from there on. People started evaluating, you know, value and shot taking uh, behind and in front of the three-point line. That was kind of a, a basic kind of start to analytics, wasn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's funny, man, because the as deep as the analytics go from a basketball perspective, like you can start as a strength and conditioning department diving into some of those analytics as well that aren't the typical analytics that are numbers that, you know, we typically deal with like, mm-hmm. you know, relative peak power or, you know, rate of force or whatever it may be, um, you know, eccentric braking all these things that we typically look at when it's force plates or if we're looking at like high speed accelerations with GPS data and all those things. Yeah. Uh, you can start to get into some like basketball specific analytics that can then in turn, um, uh, help help build some questions or help dictate some of your programming and how you develop these athletes. Uh, yeah. It's really, really interesting. I mean, you can take super deep dives and that's, that's why there's people on staff that are smarter than me to get those things. Yeah. Done. I just am a kind of a fly on the wall and listen and try and take some of it. Um, but it's crazy what you can do with some of those numbers. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think football is a really good one too. You can evaluate football in terms of like positional demands for the way the game has been played. And then you can take plays and like, I would think like when the, this is way back in the day, they probably weren't doing this, but when the forward pass was introduced, that probably extended the life of a play by a couple of seconds. Yeah. Um, And you can probably say, Hey, the forward pass is a much more valuable choice than running the ball as often. So even though your players probably had an average play duration of X, you want to have an average play duration of Y and you can probably start training towards you know, that duration as opposed to the duration that they've been expected to play out. I mean, that's just an example, but I'm sure you could do that in a lot of ways with a lot of sports. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that it, you know, what I find is very funny about all the deep dives you can take on data and information and, and analytics is that in the weight room specifically, I've always tended to come back to simplifying things. You could make things uber complicated. Um, but you almost start to like, you get to a point of uh, diminishing returns where you've made things so complicated now that because you're trying to take a deep dive on all these analytics and, and you're trying to use this information to help dictate your programming and your development for the athletes, that you almost start to like, it, you just overdo it a little bit and you feel like, man, I got, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull back and go back to just being super simple with how I do things, and you end up getting greater return on investment, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, that's because I'm a pretty simple strength coach and they're like, I'm not as good as all the, the sports scientists out there, but I have typically found that the, the more complicated I started to make things based on some of the information I was trying to collect, the, the worse results I would end up getting. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Probably, probably due in part to the fact that I'm not the greatest strength coach of all time. And there are other people out there that could do a better job with all that information, but that's in my experience, that's just what, you know, I, I've, Tend, tended to find. Well, yeah, I, I don't know about that. I, I would 
I would probably presume that like when you're on the floor coaching, like the quality of your coaching is a finite resource. And the more complicated a program is, you're probably expending your resource at like a, a lower rate of efficacy. Whereas if it was a simple program, uh, you know, it, the, the program might just be coached better. The effort output might be better. The quality of the reps, the, you know, the timing of the session. Mm-hmm. My mind kind of goes there when it comes to simplicity is that uh, it probably best leverages like the, the coach on the floor coaching the session. It's kind of my, that's one thought I had. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's the one thing that you talk about being on the floor. That If there's one thing I would hang my hat on in my career as a coach, it's my ability to be on the floor and coaching. Like that sounds mm-hmm. dumb. That's our job, but there are a lot of strength coaches that are like master programmers, but maybe mm-hmm. struggle, to, struggle to communicate that program or struggle, struggle to implement it because maybe on the floor, they don't have quite the skill set um, as others or yeah. vice versa. Like just an incredible coach on the floor, but you know, the programming has got awful. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, right. there's, there's extremes, and there's everything in the middle. And so um, I'll never claim to be the greatest programmer in the world. Again, I, we just talked about, I keep, I really try to keep it super simple, but uh, the, the simplicity of my programs, I think has allowed me to, and it's where my passion is, is being on the floor, being hands-on coaching um, mm-hmm. and, and teaching movement. I think that if I, like I said, if that's one thing I had to hang my, if there's one thing I would hang my hat on in my career of coaching, it's, I think I'm pretty good on the floor. Um, right. That's what I love to do. That's my, that was my passion. Um, well, that's where the medicine is administered. You know I mean? That's, yeah. that's, that's the dose. Absolutely. Um, and I love to teach movement. I love to analyze movement and teach movement. That's, I just absolutely love mm-hmm. it. Like I can teach, if somebody was like, Hey, can you teach me how to snatch? Like, let's do it. I'll do that all day. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can sit there to watch someone snatch all day and try and help them out. Um, and, and which I, I honestly think teaching and coaching movement is becoming a little bit of a lost art. That's a whole nother, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother, uh, oh, podcast, epi- podcast episode part two. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. We'll come back uh, on. But that's, uh, you know, long story short about, about um, kind of simplicity and, and how it affects the effic- efficacy of your, uh, yeah. you know, how you deliver a program. That's how I was able to deliver, you know, the best version of my programs is if I can mm. keep it simple, coach the crap out of it and get yeah. the most intent out of it um, from the athlete because they didn't have to think about all kinds of stuff. They could just give me intent on what we were doing. Um, and, and that was how we were able to maximize results. Um, yeah you know, that's, that's where I would fall back to when I started to feel myself dive a little bit too deep into the information that maybe I, and maybe it was again, because I didn't have a greater understanding of it. Um, right. But it's, it's, you know, to, to bring this whole conversation back around to the original point of analytics, it, um, it's pretty wild what you can do with it if you know what to do with it. Whereas right. I was kind of halfway there. And so I just yeah. stayed halfway there. <laughs> Right. Well, what you just talked about kind of raises a question in my mind that I think about often, oftentimes when I'm lifting in the weight room, which is about the quality of rep and like how effective the response is, you know, equal to the quality of the rep and the exercise in the set. Like I think think about the really good lifters I know, their rep quality is so, so good in terms of bracing, understanding why they're doing the movement. Uh, understanding how much time under tension they're going for, no momentum at the bottom of the lift versus someone who might be in the weight room with me who I could tell has never had a coach is doing a program from a magazine and you know, the, the reps just aren't very good. Like how much more effective? So like if, if you take like a professional weightlifter who's a weightlifter, like a bodybuilder or professional powerlifter who's doing three sets of 10 on bench press and then someone who's never had a coach before do three sets of 10, 
like how much more effective is the exercise for each of those people, even though they're doing the same exercise in the same set and rep scheme? Is it like, is the professional lifter getting like two or three times the response that the person with really poor quality of rep is getting? Would you suspect? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. And I would. I would. I would suspect that for sure. I don't know. I, I'd be. I'd be hard pressed to put a number like say two or three times as great of an effect. But um, I don't think you're far off on that. Uh, if you go watch, we'll take bodybuilding for example because that's an easy one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go watch like some of the best bodybuilders ever, and you you, you listen to them talk about their training and talk about their technique and and and. You know, if you want to call it the mind muscle connection or, or whatever, maybe just creating the tension there and, and the neural drive, the way that they think about their training, and I'm sure the way they think about it while they're actually training is 100% helping them get greater responses from their training and greater adaptation, as opposed to just, you know, your regular Joe Schmo who walks in the gym and just kind of just, you know, reps things out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really uh, so. There's a guy named uh, Chris Bumstead. Is that, I don't know if I'm saying Bumstead. Bumstead. You know what I'm talking about? He's, I don't know him. He's like the reigning Mr. Olympia right now. Um, uh, I think he's a Canadian dude. He's, you know, he he is. He's got a ridiculous physique, I and mean, that's why he's the three. I think he's like a three-time reigning champ of Mr. Olympia. Wow. Uh, and it's really interesting to to listen to him talk about his training and, and talk about how he, how he not only builds out a session, but how he focuses on each set and rep. Um, it's really, really intriguing and interesting to, um, you really understand why he's able to put in the work that he's able to put in and, and create the adaptations that he's creating. Now, again, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but you can, you can assume there's probably some other things going on there, you know, at right. that level. Uh, but I, take- I I have this conversation all the time, it, definitely. But yeah. you still got to walk in the weight room because there's everyone else is doing the same thing too. So you got to train, and you still have to have ridiculous genetics. Correct. But you know what? I would say that having a a good coach to teach you these things, um, or or having the the desire to go learn these things if you're going to try to implement them in your own training is really really important if you're trying to maximize you know your genetic potential and your results. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to just pulling a, a program out of, you know, offline or out of a magazine, like seek somebody out that knows what they're doing and, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at least try to gain a little bit of a base knowledge to apply to your training. If this is something you're truly interested in and you're like, whether it be powerlifting, bodybuilding, weight, uh, you know, Olympic lifting, doesn't matter what it is, CrossFit, um, mm-hmm. seek somebody out who, who has a really good understanding of what's going on and can coach you and, and, um, I mean, that's why, that's, that's why this profession exists because the value is there, you know, and yeah. if it wasn't, none of us would have, you know, I wouldn't have been a strength coach because you wouldn't have a need for it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, there's quite a bit of greater, greater, uh, more significant, um, adaptation and, and greater results happening when you have, um, a better understanding of what's going on and, and from a, not only a physiological standpoint, but from a, just a general programming standpoint and, and, and yeah. their, um, you know, all the finer details of a, of a training plan. And it makes you realize too, how much focus is required in the training session, especially when you're without a coach, you know, I train without a coach and I have a coach program for me, but I have to go through it, you know, without a coach. 
it, you, you can't really go through the motions if you want to focus on a good quality training session. You have to really focus on each set and each rep to kind of get what you know is the most out of it. You can go through the motions, but you know a workout where you really are focused and one where you're not, there's a difference. Oh, there's um, absolutely a difference. I haven't had a good session like that in a few years. Um, <laughs> well, so I, I haven't competed in probably five years in weightlifting. Yeah. About five years. Um, and I've just not ever been the same since. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, things have changed in the past five years. My, I, you know, I, I mean, you got to enjoy older. it. You know? What's that? I think you got to enjoy your session. If you know, if, if yeah. your session feels like a, like a full-time job while you're in there, then, and you don't enjoy that, that at least you're getting in there, get doing something as opposed to you know, suffering through a workout. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it, it, it is so surprising the difference that I, especially being a coach, like how important mm. it is to have a coach because mm-hmm. I, Hey, I don't want to coach myself because that's lame. I don't want to, you know what I mean? Like I want someone to coach me. I've just got done coaching for, you know, six, seven hours a day. I don't want to do it to myself. Yeah. You know, it'd be great to have someone there to go, all right, let's get it, man. Like to, you know, to be me for me. Yeah. Because when I did have that, uh, by a guy, two guys, Dan Brown and Dan German, both out of uh, a, a facility called Lift Lab in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I just had, you know, that was when I was hitting PRs. That's when I was at my strongest, um, you know, physique wise. That's when I looked the best, even though I wasn't training for, you know, necessarily to, to have a great physique. It was more about obviously getting better at snatch and cleaning jerk. But um, I just have not had results like that in a really long time. And there's a lot of different factors that go into that, but that's biggest. That's one of the biggest reasons I just haven't had a, my own coach yeah. five years or so. And, and it shows. What a testimony to a coach, you know, it's, it's not the same. It's no, just not the same training with and without one, you know? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And that's, I, I hope that my athletes could say the same thing. Like previous athletes, like, yeah. Uh, maybe 10 years from now, I'll go back and ask them, but it's, uh, you'd hope, you'd hope that, that they would say the same thing is that, you know, you made a difference, it, it, you know, hopefully from that, at least that perspective, but hopefully in a, yeah. a broader sense as well. It's something I earnestly want people to also experience that they haven't before. Like I said, I have a gym that's just kind of like an open gym and they have coaches and classes, but you know, I, I, I go back to DC where I lived for a long time where my family's, uh, my, my wife's family's from, and I always go back to the gym that I used to uh, attend and, uh, coach at and, um, you know, going in there for a drop in session and just doing a plank, right. Just a regular old plank. And I'm getting coached, you know, like two, two or three cues. I was half assing a plank and I was like, this is, this is what a real gym with a real coach is like, like the pe- the person with the 10 year training age and the zero year training age, they're getting coached either way. Yeah. Cause there's always something to coach and be held accountable to for the most complex movement for the simplest movement. And that's a different experience and that's going to yield different results. And I just want people who haven't had that kind of coaching to just know what it's like, what it feels like, just so that they know what real training and real coaching looks like. You know, it's, it's different. It's, it's absolutely different. And, and I'll take it beyond the gym, having a coach in your life that a will push you in the gym and, and do their job is, is second. It's, it's incredible, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. a different experience. But having a coach that takes it a little bit further than that and tries to or coaches you, not necessarily in aspects of life, but teaches you things in the gym or in the weight room that can be applied to other aspects of life. Mm-hmm. Um, teach you how how these things can be. It, you know, it's one thing like, oh, we're going to talk about dedication to training or 
you know, accountability, your athletes accountability of showing up on time or, you know, whatever you want to talk about. It's like, Hey, here's how this specific thing in your life can be uh, transferred to other aspects of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, cause at the end of the day, if you're talking about college athletics, very few of them are going to be professional athletes. Most of them are going to go on to do other things, mm -hmm. but there are things that you can learn from a coach that can be applied to, you know, various aspects of your life outside of athletics or outside of the gym. And for me, it's, it's the reason I wanted to become a coach. Like I was, um, I was in middle school and, uh, was, was hanging out with not terrible people, but not the best people either. Um, probably headed down the wrong direction, you know, had it, had it continued. Um, I lost my father when I was 10 years old. I, I you know, I have a fantastic family and support system. Um, but you know, I was, I was really young, uh, didn't have my dad and, and was probably hanging out with the wrong people and, and just not getting the direction I needed at that point from a, from a, a fatherly figure. Um, and, uh, you know, I had a coach, I remember this to this day, I had a coach stop me in the hallway, one of my football coaches and, uh, kind of put me in my place. Um, and he wasn't aggressive about it. It wasn't like a screamer or yeller. He was just like, listen, man, I see who you're hanging out with. Uh, you know, I think, I think that, you know, you could, you could, I think you need to turn things around or think about things. And I don't remember the exact words he used, but I remember him stopping me in the hallway in between classes once and, and kind of talk to me about this stuff. Um, and it really, really like hit me pretty deep. And from that point on, man, I kind of, it was, it wasn't even like a slow change. It was like, all right, man, 90 degree turn. I'm going the other direction and I'm going to try and turn this stuff around and not let, you know, not blame the world for my dad not being there and, and, and mm -hmm. for what happened, you know what I mean? And just, it was a really, really big game changer in my life. <clears throat> and it was because of that coach. Mm -hmm. And then there's other, you know, it was always coaches along the way who, and it, maybe that was because I was just involved in athletics. So it happened to be coaches, but that one specific moment is really kind of what turned me around um, for potentially heading down, heading down, a, a, you know, a wrong path. And now I say potentially, cause I don't know if my mom would have ever let me head down a wrong path. Um, mm -hmm. but, you know, it, uh, it was that coach that really kind of changed, changed things for me. And then, um, you know, later on down the line, it was like, all right, I want to become a coach because I want to help other people. I want to have an impact on people, um, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, outside of it, it started as like, Oh, I'm going to help people change their athletic careers. But there was always that that thing in the background that was I just want to help people and impact people. Yeah. And you know, I got really into training and really, you know, into school and 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 strength and conditioning. And I kind of let the X's and O's take over a little bit. Yeah. Um until I had that next conversation down the line of, you know, where the, the guy could only say that his strength coach made him stronger. And I was like, man, yeah. I was starting to head down the wrong path. Yeah, I was starting to head down the wrong path again as far as this is not why I'm in this. This is not why I became a coach. I became a coach to impact people greater than just, you know, yeah. picking things up and putting them down. So it's yeah. funny that it's, it's been coaches throughout my entire life, you know, apart from my incredible family, my mom and sisters and brother, but like it's been coaches that have, have really influenced me throughout the years. And, and I wish that everyone, whether they're in athletics or into gym, into, into fitness or whatever, they could just find a solid coach that could really help change their life. Um, maybe in just a small way, but also maybe in a really big way. And the beauty of your interaction with that coach is that he elicited a response, a decision from you. He didn't mandate a decision. Yeah. Right. And Absolutely. that's, that's where change happens. 
as as inspiring that, that kind of response, uh, not necessarily leveraging authority to demand the response, demand a decision. I think that's that's especially key to being an effective coach, you know? Absolutely. And I think most of us go through, I, I hope I definitely did. I, I went through that early on in my career where you're, you're pretty young. You're not that much older than, you know, a lot of the athletes you're training mm-hmm. and you want to, I'm in charge. I'm this is doing things my way, you know? And, right. And uh, you, you try to, you take that route of demanding things and then you start to realize that this is a really ineffective way of doing things. Yeah. Um, and uh, that kind of, that shift happens in, in your mindset and how you want to do things. And, and it makes it, it makes life so much less stressful. It, mm-hmm. it makes your relationships so much more genuine that you're building with your athletes. Um, yeah. And people start to really realize, realize that, um, that, yeah, it's, it's not about demanding change from people. It's yeah. about fostering an environment that is going to help them. It's about fostering an environment that's going to cause them to want to change on their own. Yeah. And it's a very supportive sort of stance. Yes. Uh, as opposed to leveraging authority. Yeah. Um, there's nothing supportive about that. Um, totally, man. Wow. We're going to end it there. What a great note to end on, though. That was so, that was, you know, one of the better conversations I've had around coaching in a long time. That was really cool. That was good, man. And we kind of jumped around a lot, but that was fun. I, I mean, it's just a, a regular conversation, man. I, and I really enjoyed it. That was a good time. Yeah. Who knew two business guys could, you know, we went deep on coaching. No, that's yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's, I mean, now that you're on the dark side, the vendor side, I'm, I'm going to give you this, you know, the businessman, this is, this is, this is how I, uh, you know, this is how I dig into the people on the vendor side of things. Yeah, no, it's funny. I do. I've had so many people say like, oh, he's on the dark side now. I didn't know that. <laughs> I know I was on the dark side. I thought coaching was the dark side. <laughs> yeah, no, I've always, I've been here, man. I, uh, I welcome the newcomers. That's great. This is, uh, this is how it works, but it's fun. Like, Working for a company like Play, a company like Team Builder, what's fun about it is, um, man, we have a company with resources, uh, oftentimes money, where we can do really, really good things for coaches, like sponsor clinics, you know, support them, uh, you know, just putting on a happy hour at CSCCA. Like that stuff's important. Like coaches need and want that as part of their coaching experience. So that's kind of stepping up for them and using our resources to kind of, you know, add add to the overall experience uh especially yeah, in continuing I, education I yeah for sure and and 100 yeah. agree and that's that's kind of the, the mentality i want to have in this new role is again it went from just it went from helping athletes now helping coaches uh yeah you know just like you said it's you have these resources to do some pretty cool things for the profession mm-hmm. um, i always wanted to be able to give back to the profession I, I don't know if i've ever felt that like i had made it enough or that anybody wanted to hear me enough to like give back to the profession and i i I for sure still haven't, but I am in a, in a cool position now that where I can, you know, hopefully give back and, and whether that's helping someone build their dream room or, you know, Donnell and I are going to do some cool things with the play labs and these clinics we're going to put on mm-hmm. um, partnering with, with great companies like team builder and perch and all these, you know, these great people in the profession. And, and um, I'm very, very fortunate to have gone through everything in my career and, and ended up in, um, you know, working for a really good company, a, a fantastic company with some great people and getting to build relationships, not only within the, the company itself, but the, the clients and the coaches that we have, but also guys like you at, at other companies that we partner with. And it's just a really, really fun time in my life. And I'm excited to be here and, and uh, really happy to get to talk with you today, man. It's been a fun conversation. It's been good getting to know you. And, and obviously we're going to continue to do this, you know, throughout the years. Yeah, I was just going to say, few at any companies do a better job of that than Play does. So you're on the right platform to kind of do what you 
you know, what sounds like your life mission. And that's why us here at Team Builder, we're really proud to stand as a partner of Play and have folks like you on the podcast and talk about this stuff. So, man, super pumped about, you know, working with you in the future. And, uh, man, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Talk to you later. Bye, brother. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you would like us to discuss on our format, go ahead and reach out to me. My email is hewitt at teambuilder.com. Thanks again for listening.